everyone, and welcome to episode 19 of X-Band the Phantom podcast. This episode, you've just got Jermaine and I, as uh, Stephen has to take care of his young kids. So how are you, Jermaine? Pretty good, mate. Yourself? Yeah, good. Good. Bit warm, bit hot, but apart from that, pretty good. <laughs> What's warm over New country New South Wales? Uh, well, today, I'm not sure exactly what it is now. But today it got to uh, 27, I think, was the highest. So it's not the hottest it's been, but um, it was warm enough that I had to have the fan and stuff going. So, yeah. 27's um, uh, putting on a jumper over here, mate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I was, um, I was talking to a friend of mine who lives in Finland, actually, a couple of days ago, and I was complaining about the heat, and she said, oh, well, it's only minus 20 here. So, <laughs> yeah. Each to their own, I suppose. Right, well, um, let's get right into it. So this episode, we've got a bit of news to cover and um, some issue discussion as well and something a little bit different at the end. So I'll start off with the news first. And the first thing we have uh, is um, an interview with Brian. I think it's pronounced Clevinger. I might have ruined his last name there, but he's the writer of the uh, upcoming Phantom miniseries that's part of the King uh event series that Dynamite Entertainment are doing. Um, in an interview with... Um, Bleeding oh, Cool. Bleeding Cool, that was the website. I haven't opened it yet. Sorry, Bleeding Cool. He um, talked about how he is uh, tackling the Phantom and particularly how he's tackling the fact that the person in the costume isn't part of the uh, the Walker line. And there were some quite interesting things, I thought, that, that he said in the interview. Uh one thing he did mention, which um, is always kind of interesting, I think fans like to know one way or the other, is that he wasn't aware of or wasn't a fan of the Phantom before um, before he got the job to write this series. But when he did get it, he did a lot of research, he says in the interview. So it's good that he's gone back and you know um, done his homework, basically. So one of the main points, obviously, of the miniseries is Lothar being the Phantom after the end of um, uh, King's Watch. So uh, he doesn't give any details, but Brian says a big part of the miniseries is going to be uh, about Lothar discovering what it means to be the Phantom. So, Jermaine, what do you think he means by discovering what it means to be the Phantom? Um, well, I have read the first issue, so I will cheat and pretend, um... Okay, um, <laughs> I haven't got mine yet. <laughs> it's, um, I, without giving too much away, obviously we'll do a, a better, more in-depth, um, analysis with, after a couple of issues and stuff like that. Yeah. But, um, him understanding, it was quite interesting, like, there was a scene where, um, where he's teamed up with a, a future Guran, who's a bit of a tech whiz, and like so, like there, while he's in the battle, while he's in battles and stuff like that, like Guran's teaching him how to be the Phantom in a sense. Oh, okay. um, it's quite an interesting, interesting way of doing it. So like you get a lot of movies, a lot of um, uh, TV shows and stuff where you've got the uh, the nerd talking in the ear of the action hero while, you know, um, you know, while they're doing the battles. So the nerds, you know, in the car or in this case the skull throne, 
and then you know the the hero, which in this case is Lothar or AKA the Phantom, is doing battle. So it was actually it's done quite well, and um, and there's a lot of like uh, the thing that I do like about it is that seeing the Lothar doesn't know much about the Phantom, he's able to teach him, but while he's teaching, he's also able to teach. Um, the reader as well. So if the reader doesn't know too much about the Phantom, he can gather some knowledge about the Phantom while reading it because he's going through the adventure along with Lothar. Oh, so it's kind of um, an introductory to the character almost for someone who hasn't read any Phantom stuff before. Yeah, yeah, it almost is. Like, um, as much as it can, you know, as much as it can be, but it, it jumps straight after um, King's Watch. Like, the start of the story is basically them burning or the uh, the dude, um, what do you call it, uh, the previous Phantom who wasn't really the Phantom, oh, if yep. you know what I mean. So yep. it carries straight off there. So, you know, um, it's, it's quite good how they've, I guess, been able to work it all together and stuff. Um, I'm still uncertain if I like the concept, um, but from a story point of view, it's quite good so far. Oh, good. It's good to hear. Yeah, um, I'm looking forward to getting mine. I probably won't get mine until somewhere around the middle of next month because I only get a shipment once a month from King's. But, um, but yeah, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to it. There's one quote here that um brian gives in the interview that i I wanted to wanted to go over um so he says here uh lothar has this great outsider's perspective throughout king's watch he's the only one on the ground willing to admit how crazy everything is from the threat itself to his comrades and their plans but you get but you get to have a wiry perspective on things when your best friend is mandrake the ageless super wizard and then Lothar's maybe the strongest man in the world too. What's the story behind that? I don't know, but I bet it's something that Mandrake screwed up. Uh, there's two, well, actually three very interesting things there. One, he's using um, Mandrake as kind of an outsider to the King's Watch group. Someone not, I guess, as um, familiar, I guess, with the world of superheroing as the other three are. Um, then he calls Mandrake an ageless super wizard, which is kind of interesting yeah um and then he says that lothar is the strongest man in the world which might be something that mandrake screwed up suggesting maybe mandrake cast some sort of spell and it didn't work out quite as they planned but mandrake was able to make lothar super strong so just those three things sounds like if he's going to try and cover all of that in the four issues that the series has it's going to be very, very packed, I think, but it's also going to be very interesting as long as it's handled well. So Yeah. Now, what's interesting is I've read the Flash one yesterday as well. My comic book store didn't have the other three, which is Mandrake, Prince Valiant, and Jungle Jim. Now, according, they're supposed to all match and be together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's... Now, Flash had a mention of the Phantom. There was a, a little picture of the Phantom in... The Flash issue. Yep. Um, so it, I see it as going to be a, another, basically another King's Watch, but where they're their own heroes battling stuff and then they come together. 
Yeah. Now, one of our um, one of our listeners, uh, Luke Gagan, has made a mention that he reckons Jungle Jim is going to be the twenty third Phantom. Oh yeah. The, the missing twenty third Phantom. So that's his theory. Um, so it's it's interesting if there is who it's going to be and how they're going to find out about it and stuff like that as well. Yeah. Yeah, that will be interesting. Well, of course, we've got the um, the four series that you mentioned, The Phantom, Mandrake, Flash, and Jungle Jim, which are... Uh, all, and Prince. Oh, and, and Prince, Prince Valiant. Valiant. Sorry, five, five. Five, which are all four issues each, and then after they're done, we get basically King's Watch 2, which I think is going to be four issues as well. Well, they all come together. So there's a lot of content we've yet to see um, and read. But it's interesting you mentioned that in Flash, uh, the Phantom is mentioned because if you look at the cover of um, the last, uh, sorry, not the last Phantom, of the Phantom 2 and also um, the second issue of Mandrake, which is up on the website, you'll see that all the other car- characters are featured on that cover. And it looks like once you have all five issues, they come together to make one big uh, big image as well. So just from that, it suggests that at some point each of the characters will appear in each of the other's series, even if it is maybe only a, a little acknowledgement like the Phantom in Flash. But um, it could be interesting. We Maybe Mandrake will pop up in the Phantom or we will find out what happened with that screwed up magic spell or, you know, vice versa. Yeah. Well, Ma- Mandrake is in, he's in like, he's on the first page or two of, um, of the first issue of, of King Phantom. So, you know, so he is technically in there, but I think you're right. I think we're going to see them together quite, quite a bit, which, which is an interesting way of doing it because, if Dynamite's going to be losing, well, Dynamite basically has lost the rights to the fan, which we understand that's the case. Well, if, if you go and look at um, the news I posted up a little while ago on that, it, I can't remember the exact wording, but, but Dynamite basically said that they had the rights to use the Phantom in crossovers but yes. not as a single character. So even that suggests that this is going to be a crossover, which we, we always knew that the true sequel to King's Watch, which comes out later in the year, um, was was going to be a crossover, but we didn't originally know that these individual miniseries were going to be a crossover, but now it looks like they are. Maybe they're just chucking the other characters in to get around that or to build up towards King's Watch 2 or both even. Yeah, well, it's a great way of... Um, it's a great way. Moonstone kind of did it as well. Like they did it with the uh, KGB series. I don't know yeah. if you remember. It was a six part, and then they had like the Phantom, or they had another character of their extensive range as backup stories. Mm. So it's it's kind of in in the, in the sense you kind of get the impression that it was to kind of encourage or to get Phantom readers to continue to buy their by Moonstone's comics. Yeah, exactly. Now, I don't know how well that worked, but it's kind of like Dynamite's doing something similar where they're, they're using these crossovers to try and get people interested or to buy Flash, Mandrake, King, you know, and all these other King characters, which I'm going to be doing because if they're all going to be tying together, 
you obviously need to buy all of the other issues for yeah. the story to make sense. So it's it's a it's an interesting way of doing it in the sense that they're going to get I'm sure I'm not the only one who's going to be buying them all to try and, you know, get the to get the full story and stuff like that. So it's an inch so I must I must admit it's an interesting way of doing it. Yeah. We should probably clarify though, in case anyone's sitting there going, Oh my god, my wallet is gonna hate me. You may not have to buy every single issue of every single mini series to get the main story, to get um the story that leads into King's Watch Two. Uh from what we've read, what we've seen, it looks like each individual series focuses on that individual character, but there'll be little bits here and there that then lead into um, King's Watch 2. But if you get all of them, you'll get a wider, um, I suppose, all-encompassing story. So you probably don't need to in other absolutely words, every issue, but if you do, you'll get just that little bit extra. In other words... You're going to have to buy every single issue. Well, it depends how much of the story. If you're only really interested in the fandom, then just buy the fandom. But if you want um, absolutely every single tiny part of the story, then, yeah, you'll need to buy them all. It's like, I suppose, um, the Marvel and DC events. You can buy, uh, for example, they um, recently had one um, called Infinity. You could just have bought the main... Infinity miniseries, and you would have been fine. You would have had a great big superhero space opera to read. It was great. But if you got all the issues that tied into it, you um, got a wider story that wasn't 100% necessary to understand or follow the main Infinity series, but it kind of fleshed it out. So characters that were, for example, in Infinity Issue 1 but weren't in Infinity Issue 2 and then turned up again in Infinity Issue 3, well, one of the tie-ins would explain what was happening to them while they weren't in that second issue. So things like that. So it's not necessary, but it just gives you a fuller understanding of, of the story. At least that's that's my understanding and what I've read about um, the King's event is how they're planning it. Because, you know, comic companies know that people only have a limited amount of, of money to spend on their comics, so maybe everyone won't want to get every single issue of, of um, you know, five different miniseries, so they have to uh, make it accessible to people that might only follow one or two characters. Yeah, that's true. But they're going to do their best to try and get you to buy every single issue. Oh, well, exactly, and that's, you know, that's just part and parcel of, of the business of comics and any business, really. Yeah, exactly. So, um, at the moment, I'm looking at buying every single one. I've got them all put, put aside, but, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting just how how they do tie in together. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm getting just the Phantom and Mandrake myself, and then I'll wait and see what you and um, some of the other fans say about the others, and if the others are really good, then I'll probably go back and um, get the others as uh, either individual issues through the secondary market, or I might get the trades when, um, when they eventually get released, which, of course, they will at some point down the line. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of people are going to be like that. Yeah, um, especially Phantom fans, because a lot of Phantom fans are not comic fans, but they're no. Phantom fans, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, see, being a comic fan, I have a kind of different uh, perspective on it, where someone who isn't uh, familiar with 
mainstream, I guess, US comics might think that, yes, you'll have to get every single one. But no, you don't, because even with, say, a book like Avengers, yes, you've got Iron Man, you've got um, Captain America, you've got all these other characters in that group. But that doesn't mean you have to go and buy all their individual books. Yes, those individual books will sometimes reference what happens in Avengers, but you don't need to read them. So, yes, there is the fact that um, Dynamite will be featuring all these characters, and I hope you go and then buy those characters' books as well. But you don't have to, and and that's the key thing that people need to realise. You don't have to spend, you know, all that money for four different miniseries, uh, five different miniseries, sorry, each month. And then I'm sure each one's got, you know, like the f- the first fan, they've all got nine nine different covers, I think. You know, yeah. three <laughs> three covers with, you know, um, you know, three different alternatives. You know, the old cheap skaters doing it, the Virgin and the black and white. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's a completely other different story. We should talk to Luke about that because he's the crazy one that goes and buys them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, variant covers is a whole different argument. <laughs> Right, well, um, I suppose we should move on from Definitely. from that. So the next thing we have to mention is um, on the 11th of January, so just after the new year, was the birthday of Terry Beatty, the great, talented Terry Beatty, of course, the um, artist for the Phantom Strips at the moment. Now, I think it was yourself, Jermaine, that posted this on Facebook, letting everyone know today, uh, that date was Terry's birthday. And, yes. um he got a lot of, of course, happy birthday messages and a lot of love from from a lot of the fans. Um, however, there was one comment that was, uh, shall we say, ill-advised to post, especially on a um, happy birthday message. However, that led to a really interesting discussion about uh, the work conditions for um, newspaper strip artists. Now, in... Um, Terry basically made a huge comment about how much work is involved in putting a strip together. Um, it, in the good old days uh, when, you know, Lee Fork and um, Cy Barry was still doing the strips, the strip artists had, had quite a bit of help. They had ghosts, which basically means um, people who would you know, fill in for bits that they quite didn't have time to do. Maybe they'd do a rough uh, drawing of a scene and the ghost would come in and, and just basically fill it out, make it look a bit nicer, tidy up tidy up the lines and stuff. Um, they'd have assistants, they'd have inkers um, for them to so they could get the strip out and done. That's not what it's like anymore. Uh, according to Terry, and I'm sure he would not be making this up, uh, creators today have to work harder and faster than they did uh, back during, say, Lee Fork and Cy Barry's day. And they also have um, less resources, limited resources, um, compared to, to back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Um, to give an example, he said, at best for each Sunday Phantom story, he gets two days to work on it. Now, if you look at a Sunday Phantom strip, it's usually, what, between four, two panels if they're extra big and four smaller panels? Is that about right? Yeah, roughly about that. Obviously, the one thing about Terry is that he does mix it up a lot more than a lot of other artists. But, yeah, you're looking at, um, I guess, on average, probably about eight, 
you know, between six and eight panels. Yeah, fair enough. Well, so you might look at that and think, oh, well, that's only six to eight small drawings he's got to do. Well, no, that's not how it works. The the things are actually drawn a lot bigger than you see on the page. Obviously, they're shrunk down. Um, but Terry would have to read the script. He'd have to figure out how to place all the characters in the scene. Um, some writers will give the artist very specific directions of where they want the characters placed and what angle or view that they want the scene viewed at. Some writers don't. So I'm not sure how Tony DePaul uh, does that. I've never seen one of his scripts, so I can't can't tell you. But still, that's something Terry would have to figure out. Then he'd have to basically do a few sketches to make, you know, because even if it says the Phantom on the left say Diana on the right from a bird's eye view, he might do three or four different sketches of that um, setting to try and get things right. So you've got that, you then you've got your thumbnail sketching, which is a very rough planning out. Once that's he's happy with that, he then has to draw the actual panel, which involves um, the basic uh, setup, then, so blocking in all the elements, then he has to draw in a proportion of the characters, which takes a long time. Um, Get, he, he would. I, I don't know Terry's exact um, how he works, but this is just from my own experience how I would imagine he'd do it. He'd rough out where the characters are, then he'd put in the detail, then he'd erase any lines he doesn't want, tidy up the ones he wants to keep, and then that would go into inking. Now, when you're doing that for six to eight different frames, that's a lot of work, especially in only two days. Because yeah, especially when the frames have to flow as well, so it's not like it's a standalone. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Now, sorry. I'd, sorry, I'll just cut in for a little bit there. Now, I have talked to Terry a little bit about his process. Now, he said normal, with a lot of stuff, he can um, do it online, but what he's found is that there's a market with Phantom original artwork, which is probably a lot more popular than it is with a lot of other um, uh, that it is with a lot of other characters uh, and you know I've, I've heard other people say that as well as that you know with Phantom original artwork there's you know the market's a lot bigger than anywhere else with any other character so yeah. with 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 pages where there's no Phantom in it Terry I guess you could call it for a better term he cheats and uses um, uh, the computer, uses like some of the programs that you have. Yep. Um, but still, you know, that, that only probably saves yourself probably a couple of hours for each single one. Yeah, yeah. And then once you've got all that, you've still got all the colouring, then you've got the speech bubbles, uh, the text, and all that type of stuff as well. Exactly. And um, I know some comic book artists, like actual comic books, not strips, um, who, if they were drawing... Um, oh, actually, a perfect example is Joe Casada, who used to be um, one of the higher-ups, I think the editor-in-chief of Marvel. But when he would draw, he has a program on his computer of which basically gives him a 3D, um, a 3D model of New York City. So say he was drawing Spider-Man, and Spider-Man was swinging... Um, in a certain place of New York, Joe would just have to get onto the computer. He would find out that find that per, per part of the city, print out an image of it, and then he would just trace it into um, whatever he was drawing. Now, to some people that might sound like cheating, but 
perspective is one of the hardest things to do. So that would have saved him, like Jermaine says, a good couple of hours. So I'm not sure, Jermaine, if, if Terry told you exactly what he used it for, but that's just one example of how those sort of things can quicken up the process of the artist, and they really need it for the time frames they have to work in. Yeah, and um, I guess the other um, the other thing is that there's not as much money in it as what there used to be either. No. Um, you know, comic book artists, you know, probably going back to maybe even the 80s or maybe the 70s, they were rock stars. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I remember um, I was reading an interview with some of them, um, uh, I can't remember, it was fan-related. I think you... I think it might have been in a Friends of the Fan newsletter, uh, one of the interviews that Pete or Ed did. And, like, they were talking about how, like, you know, uh, they would do the stuff and then they would all get together and they would go out partying with Frank Sinatra and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, like, they were rock stars back then. And they got paid not great money, but they got paid obviously good enough money to be able to have assistants, uh, ghost writers, and to be able to put on... Um, you know, up and coming artists and and stuff like that. Um, I was, I think you were, I think you probably listened to the same interview as well. I was listening to another interview with a um, uh, with a current day um, uh, comic strip strip artist. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Um, where he said that he's been doing comic strips, so not comic book. Uh, comic books but comic strips for the newspapers for about 10 years and his wage has not gone up since. Yeah. Yeah, I do know what um, you're talking about. Yes. Now, it will be probably one of the only um, jobs in the world that had, that the wage does not go up in the 10-year time frame. Um, yeah. Now, I, I, I don't know about you, but if I was working at a hard you know, a, a job, even if I did like it, but my pay didn't go up in 10 years' time, I don't know if I'd still be doing it. Yeah, I, I don't think I would have stuck with, with it either, especially, I, I don't know the exact figures, but having a bit of an idea of what comic strip artists get paid, I don't think I would have stuck with it, with it either. Yeah, and I think that's why a lot of them, um, uh, especially fandom artists, why they keep, well, why they sell their original artwork is because sometimes they can actually get more money for the original art than what they would actually um, delivering it to the to the publisher. Yeah, exactly. And and it's probably, you know, not to sin or doom and gloom, but it's probably going to get slightly worse too because so many newspapers are cutting back on, on comic strips now. Um, there was a case, I can't, can't remember which newspaper it was, but there was a case a couple of months ago about one of the Australian newspapers dropping the fandom completely. Yes. Um, so, yeah. It's it's not the I think the days of the comic strip are probably numbered to be honest, um, but you know that that mightn't be for another ten or twenty years. But yeah, and that's a real shame because back back in the day, like we were talking, you used to get whole pages of you get a whole book basically of these things in the size of newspapers. But um, yeah, now you just get two or three if you're lucky. Yeah, now did you want to um, talk about the other point that Terry made about where he makes the characters priority? Uh, yes, yeah, so one thing character uh, Terry did say, that the person that made the ill-advised comment mentioned um, the backgrounds and one of the other strips Terry did, not being what this 
commenter felt was up to snuff. Now, Terry said, given the limited amount of time that he has to work on each strip, he gives a priority um, to the characters with the backgrounds and so forth being secondary. Now, obviously people read the strip for the character. Like, you don't read a strip going, oh, I wonder what Bengala looks like this week. I'm going to check that out. I wonder what those vines are like. So you're reading it for the Phantom, so, and the strip is called the Phantom, so obviously the artist is going to give priority to the backgrounds. Now, one of the reasons for this, apart from time-saving, is it is very easy to do a simple background that looks good rather than a simple character that and have it look good. It's very hard to draw a person particularly quickly or simply without them looking either caricatured or out of proportion um, or just wrong. It's, it's a very hard thing to do. I know a very few artists that can do it. But with um, a background, especially something like a jungle where, where the Phantom is, you can... If you're a good artist, and Cy Barry was able to do it, um, most of the fandom artists are able to do it, and and comic strip artists in particular would be very good at this because they only have a limited amount of space. Um, but it is very, well not I won't say very easy, but it is easier to indicate a background with only a few lines than it is a person. So if you're a clever artist, you put a few um, different type of lines, a few thick ones, a few curved ones, um, a little bit of texture in there, stippling or cross-hatching or what have you, and you can make the suggestion of a jungle. So if someone reading the strip sort of looks at the Phantom, looks at what he says, and they're up, as their eyes sort of pass between, I guess, the Phantom and the speech bubble, you still get that suggestion, that idea of a jungle, even if you know it's not a hugely detailed uh, image. And that's, again, for a strip where the, the space is so small, um, is a perfect reasonable thing, I think, especially given the time frame. So that that's two reasons why he would give the characters priority over the background, because that's what he's been paid to draw, really, is the Phantom. So. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting just to kind of raise and discuss about that, because we, the average person, and I'll admit I'm an average person, my artistic you know, skills are fairly limited, and what I look for, and, you know, I, I tend to judge the, the current days on people like Sky Barry and all that who had, you know, I think I remember him telling a story where he had someone whose sole job was to actually do backgrounds. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, so you're looking at it, I guess it's, it's comparing apples and oranges, and I guess it's, a, it's an interesting discussion to be able to... Um, uh, discuss what it was like back then and what it's like now. Yep. Now, I'm just, just as an example, I'm looking at um, a, a page of Cybarry original work at the moment, and you've got a bunch of characters in um, in a courthouse, and then you've got the Phantom and Diana in the third and final page standing probably, um, it doesn't actually say where, but they're on a beach anyway. Now, all he's got, in the courthouse scene is um, the three characters, which are quite detailed. You see the judge from behind the judge. He's sitting at, um, I don't know what they call the judge's desk, but let's just call it a judge's desk, um, giving the two villains the verdict with the policeman standing next to them. Now, the background 
he's got quite detailed um, actual – well, this would actually be the foreground or the midground, which is just next to the judges, like a water pitcher, a book, and um, a glass. But behind the, the villains, who are the furthest distance into the panel as far as characters go, you've got the, just a few lines. And the way size drawn them is you can in, see that they indicate floorboards, they indicate um, a wooden railing, and that's all you've got. So it's just a few lines that probably would have taken him maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes to do. And you, just from that, you get this whole image of um, a courthouse. In the next panel, you're seeing um, the two villains as if you're standing next to them. And in the background, you can see a jail cell. Now, all that is indicating that jail cell is a couple of horizontal and vertical black lines to make it look like the bars of a jail cell. That's it. But just from that, you can tell it's a jail cell. So this is, this is the kind of thing I mean where just a few lines cleverly placed can indicate a heck of a lot of stuff when it comes to backgrounds. But with people, if you just do one basic line for a mouth, it's going to look a bit wrong. You need to put in the, the bottom lip at least. So like a male character like the Phantom, you need to show the bottom lip or it's going to look out. You need to show if they're smiling or have some sort of strong expression, how um, the muscles in their face move, or, or it just looks a bit out. So, yeah, there's a lot you can do with just a few lines when it comes to the backgrounds. Um, so before we, we move on to the next uh, subject, I just thought... Uh, we should probably give our very best once again to to Terry, and I hope he had a good birthday. And um, <laughs> we should say that, you know, if, if you don't like uh, an artist, a particular artist's artwork, that's fine. I'm sure they understand art is subjective. So there's going to be people that you really love their artwork. There's going to be people that you don't necessarily like their artwork. And, you know, Jermaine and I and, and Stephen have talked on this podcast about artists' artwork who we don't particularly like. However, it still needs to be acknowledged and respected the amount of work that goes into um, into these comics and comic strips. So even if you don't necessarily enjoy someone's artwork, you still need to you know understand that they've put a lot of effort into, into the work they've done. So I think we should just say thank you, Terry, for all the hard work you've done for, for we fans to discuss and enjoy. Yeah. Definitely, and it was good for him to be able to just give us those that bit of an insight as well. Yeah, it was it was a it was a wonderful wonderful insight into the industry, and and quite a shocking one too, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, right. Well, let's move on to on to the next thing, and the news uh, the next news item is that the Phantom, excuse me, the Phantom Bobblehead from uh, Icon Collectibles has finally come out. I think uh, most people have probably got theirs by now. Now, this is uh, – I was quite happy when it, when it was originally previewed. It's a completely new sculpt to the um, statue that they released. Uh, was it early 2014, that largest Late statue? 2014. Late 2014, sorry. Uh, that other statue came out. So it's a completely new sculpt, which is great, because some companies will just use the same mould and change the sites. Um, but this is compu- completely new sculpt, and – I've got to say, I think it's really, really nice. Really nice, yeah. especially for, what was it, like 30 bucks or something? Yeah, yeah. My current bookstore had them for 40 but I get discounts, so it was a little bit cheaper than that. Okay, well, I bought um, mine. 
I bought mine through Pop Culture, and I'm I'm fairly certain it was thirty dollars. Yeah. Um, through there. Yeah. So between thirty and forty dollars. Yeah. It's not it's not bad. I got mine yesterday. Um. Uh. Was it yesterday? Yeah. And I haven't taken it out of the box, but um, I'm thinking. I might just have to buy another one and take that one out of the box. <laughs> well, the good thing about the box is you can actually take the bobblehead out without destroying the box, which I love. I think that is brilliant. A company that does that definitely considers the collector's market because, as we all yeah. know, things are more valuable if you have the original box. Um, but that's not to say that the figure can't be taken out and put back in. So that, that's what I do. If I ever buy anything that has a box that can be opened without destroying the box, I'll keep the box. Um, and, of course, it's handy for when, you know, if you're moving or whatever, um, you exactly. can put it back in. So, yeah, mine's out of the box. It's um, sitting on top of one of my bookshelves in all its glory, and I, I, think, it's, I think it's absolutely wonderful. The detail on it is, is astounding, um, especially for something that size. It looks like he's got a big nose, though. He does, he does, yeah, he does have a big nose. It looks like the penguin. <laughs> it does kind of, yeah. But um, you only really notice that if you're looking at the side, so, you know. <laughs> but, no, it, it is really nice. It does have ear bulges, though, which I know some fans are big anti-ear bulge people, but um, that, that doesn't worry me personally. But, yeah, I, I think it's, it's quite a nice item, especially for, you know, the $30 to $40 you can, you can get it for. Um, and one person on, on Facebook did mention that they didn't like the large head. That's just, a, just in case anyone else uh, is concerned about that or doesn't know, that's just a bobblehead thing. So the head is big enough to bobble. So all bobbleheads will have that size head, or some of them are actually bigger. Um, it's actually a fairly well-proportioned figure compared to a lot of bobbleheads I've seen. Um, now, one thing I thought I, I'd just mention while... We're talking about this, Jermaine. Remember when these were originally announced, there was also announced a um, heat-changing coffee mug? Yes. Um, now, the, the mug was originally supposed to be out in December last year and haven't seen anything of it yet. I ordered some, but mine hasn't turned up. I don't know if anyone else has, has turned up. No one's posted about it on Facebook. So I don't know what's going on. With that, it's still on. If you look at it on Pop Culture's website, it still says ETA December 2014. So hopefully they're still coming, but as of yet, we haven't haven't heard anything. Yeah, that will be interesting how that one works because I think it would. Well, I think it would be quite nice. Yeah, well, it's only thirteen dollars, so yeah, I'm, I'm sure there would be quite the market for it. So yes, um, and yeah. if you Phantom mugs, I don't know. Phantom Mugs is just one of those things that generates a lot of popularity. Yeah, I people think... just like even now on eBay, people spend thirty, fifty bucks for a Phantom Mug, and it's just like, yeah. Well, I think the thing with mugs is it is interesting that you mention that because I think the thing with with mugs is is one they're functional, so that you can actually use them. I don't know how many collectors would actually use them to drink their coffee or whatever out of, but if you can. Uh, if you want to do, you can, or you could do what I do with some of my um, collectible mugs as I use them for pen holders. And most of the Phantom ones, I'm struggling to think of one that isn't, but most of the Phantom ones are quite nice to look at. So 
they do look good just sitting on a shelf or you know hang, hanging on a on a mug tree or something like that. And for the most part, they're affordable. Um, I've bought a few mugs off of eBay, and I, I know you said you can get them. You know, some of them go up to fifty dollars, but I think the most I've ever spent on a phantom mug off of eBay is maybe thirty dollars. Um, so I think all those things combined probably drive up their popularity. They're easy to afford. They're easy to collect. They look good, um, and that you can use them for you know pretty much anything. So that that's mm. probably why. But yeah, it is interesting that mugs seem to be one of the most popular items with collectors. Yeah. Right. So um, still on collectibles news and still on icon collectibles. The statue that I incorrectly said came out at the beginning of 2014. Um, the big 12-inch Phantom statue from Icon is being released in blue, red, and grey versions, as well as the uh, traditional purple that was released uh, at the end of last year. Now, has there been a release date given for these colour variations? Not that I know of, but yeah. I think it's great. Um, obviously, you would only do that if the first, if the purple one was popular. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that makes me think that it must have sold quite well. Um, yeah, and it's a good statue for not a bad price. Like, it's only, you know, 130 140 including shipping or whatever. Yeah. So that's not, not, a, not a bad price. And wasn't there only a certain number made as well, like a, a 1,000 or something? I remember it wasn't – I'm sure it wasn't a huge number made. I'm just trying to. I'll, I'll try and look uh, up there. 500, 500 pieces worldwide. Oh, there you go. So they must have, to make extra, they would have had to sell sell all of them, I would think. Yeah, well, um, apparently, this is just going on what Collectors Chaos say. Is yeah. That only 360 are available within Australia and mm-hmm. 500 worldwide. Now, oh, okay. I looked on Pop Culture. Mm-hmm. And when I was looking at getting one at the end of last year, or like before Christmas, so probably about a couple of weeks before Christmas, um, they had actually sold out. Oh, interesting. Um, now I know that collect. I know a few people have got them from Collectibles Chaos, and I know a few people have got them from um, uh, uh, from Fans Vault as well. So, it, from all accounts, is that they have been pretty popular. Yeah. And I think that's why we've got the blue, red, and grey version. Mm-hmm. Oh, so the question is, are you going to get any of them? Probably not, no. I, I bought the original one, but I don't know if my um, wallet can extend for another $130 statue in such a short amount of time. Um, what about yourself? Are you going to get them? Um, yeah, I might. <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong. I would love to. But, you know, you've got to be able to pay the rent yeah. and eat, so... The grey one looks nice. It does, it does. I actually don't oh. mind the red one, to be honest. Yeah, the red's an interesting colour. Because mm. it's red, or hang on, maybe we should say what where it came from. So, the blue is uh, the colour that he is in... Uh, Scandinavia? In the, Scandinavia, so that's... Sweden, Norway, Denmark, um, and some of the other old Russian states. Mm-hmm. Um, then you've got red, which which is Italy, um, Greece, France, Turkey. 
um, and stuff like that. And then you've got the grey, which, accordingly, according to oh, law, or it's pretty much set in stone that um, that the Phantom was originally meant to be grey. Yeah, because um, he was originally, which I, I always find funny because it makes me think of the flat strips. He was originally supposed to be called the Grey Ghost. Um, yes. But then Lee Falk decided to change the name. Now, if anyone doesn't know, the Grey Ghost is, uh, if you've ever read the strip for Rot Flats, is what the dog in Rot Flats sometimes refers to himself as. Um, so that always makes me laugh. But, yeah, the costume was originally meant to be grey, but, of course, there was the um, printing error, and the rest is history. So, um, well, not so much an error, just someone doing whatever the hell they wanted, I think, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. There's a lot of different interesting theories about that one. Yeah, yeah. But um, no, it looks really nice. I would love to get the other three, but I just don't think my wallet can can stretch that far. But I'm sure, you know, if you self get them, Jermaine, and I'm sure um, Paul and and Bradley and all those guys will get them as well. So it'll be cool to see all four together. Yeah, yeah, it would. It, um, yeah, no, it's. I think it's I think it's good. Like it, it markets it to the um, to the international fans. Yeah, exactly. And you basically you're getting another you're getting another four hundred odd dollars out of pretty much every you know a lot of collectors in Australia as well. Yeah, exactly. Because all they'd have to do is redo the paint job. But I can't imagine it would cost them a lot of money to uh, to produce these with a different with a different colour. Scheme, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And you, you know, you've got your, you know, there's probably, there's probably easily, you know, twenty to thirty other collectors in Australia that will be buying all four. Yeah. Exactly. And when it's something of the quality of that statue, you don't mind paying that much money for them. Like if it, you know, sometimes they do um, action figures, for example, that that have variants in color or different head sculpts or whatever, but they're not of a great quality, so you're like, oh, I don't really want to spend another, you know, 30, 40, 50 bucks, whatever it is on it, but but this statue being of such a high quality, I can see people f- finding the value in that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really cool. I'm, I'm hoping that these are successful and maybe Icon will do even more statues down the line. It'd be great to get, you know, if this line is successful, to get statues of other characters like Diana or Garan or Devil, you know, have a bit of a yeah. family thing happening there. Um, Definitely. Now, just before we move on to the new issues, uh, scrolling through Facebook to find the um, three statue posts, I came across uh, one from Simon Brown, which I did mean to uh, add to our run sheet, but I forgot, uh, where he was able to purchase two Phantom lamps from Ah, uh, a company called Wicked Replicas. Now, I'd never heard of Wicked Replicas before, but Simon says they have both a traditional store and an online store. I haven't actually had a chance to um, have a look at that, so I might even pull that up now, but I think they're really nice. I um, wouldn't mind getting one of those. Yeah, um, I've tried to sell the idea of using it as uh, Abby's night lamp. Yeah, Um, (laughs) Well, I wouldn't uh, want a new new lamp for my lounge room, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, apparently this is the first of a couple of different designs of lamps. Oh, okay. Now, I don't know if it's happened or, or not, but obviously this one has. 
but yeah, I've heard in the great along the great vines and all that, there was actually two different designs. Oh, okay. And I, yeah, I, I, don't, I can't remember exactly, so I wouldn't be able to give much more details about it. But um, yeah, I, I don't mind that lamp. It's um, it's interesting. And yeah. I think it was thirty nine dollars. Um, I'm just looking at it. yeah, thirty nine dollars. I don't know what shipping is. Um, but it says here that the, si- uh, the size of the lamp is 38 centimetres, so, you know, it'd be quite good just for a little table lamp. Um, it looks like, so you've got, if anyone hasn't seen it, you've got the Phantom title, so the text, the Phantom, but it's in the stylized uh, kind of, I guess, scratchy um, style that is used in a lot of American Phantom stuff, not the more curvy one that you see on Fru. Um, so you've got that. And then you've got the Phantom, which in this picture actually actually looks like his costume is blue, but that just might be the lighting that they've they've used on the photo. Um, I can't. I think, quite... a, I think it's a Terry Beatty um, piece, the the big Phantom, yeah. and then it's got some strips in the background, yeah, which well, I think is Sundays. Yeah, the strips look I think look like Terry's stuff, but yeah, I was struggling to figure out the main Phantom. So you reckon it's Terry's? I believe so. Um, it looks familiar. Yeah. Um, it's quite a nice-looking lamp. Um, yeah, it would be interesting to know how much shipping is because 40 bucks for the lamp plus shipping, you know, you might be looking at 50 or 60 bucks all up. Yeah, hopefully some hopefully some stores around Perth will carry it as well. Yeah, well, I'll be, um, I'll be having a look around my area too, but uh, if we see anything, I suppose we can po- post it on the... On the Facebook group? Yes. Cool. So, yeah, I just thought we should quickly quickly mention... Oh, no, they, they're going to do a Sonic the Hedgehog one coming out soon, too. Oh, this place is going to get a lot of money from me. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, um, thanks to, to Simon for posting that up on the on Phantom Collector, the Facebook group, because somehow we completely missed it. Um, okay, well, let's move into... Let's move into the issue discussion. So we have three issues that have come out since uh, the last episode, which is all through issues, which is issue 100, uh, sorry, 1714, which is the Crystal Skull, which is a reprint of uh, issue 963. Uh, 1715, which of course is the annual, and then 1716, which is the secret weapon. So I guess we should start at the beginning. Um, yep. Crystal Skull, Jermaine, did you pick this up? Yes, I did. Yeah? What did you, what um, did you think? Well, it's a reprint story um, from Scott Goodell and Casnovius. Um, the art's quite different than what you would be, what we, what you would normally get in a free comic. He's only done a few yeah. stories. Um, I didn't mind. It's a fast-paced story. It's um, the art's quite detailed. It's um, it looks good in black and white. Um, you know, there's a few little funny bits like when, um, uh, you know, the Phantom gets the monkey mail and it's full of uh, junk mail that Diana's yeah. ordered. And, and then in the last the last bit, he finally, um, you know, buys her something from Paris. And then, you know, she goes, oh, it's much too beautiful to wear her here in the in the jungle. And the Phantom's just like, why did I even bother? Yeah. So, you know, like, there's, there's funny bits like that, which, um, you know, those little nuggets which you quite enjoy. Um, I didn't mind the story. I, now, I don't know if you remember, but there was a follow-on story 
called um, where this crystal skull actually featured again, where yeah. it was um, the, the fan. I think it was just before where the Phantom uh, met Sandal Singh for the first time. Yes, I do remember that. So um, yeah, it would have been nice if there was a little bit of a um, you know a mention about that and stuff like that as well. Yeah. Um, I didn't pick up the issue because it is a reprint, um, but I do have the original, and I, I really like the artwork. I think the artwork's very nice. Like you say, it is very different to what you traditionally see in um, in Fru's comics, but I, I do quite like it. I think it's nice and strong. And, yeah, I, I enjoy the story as well. I think the little bits of comedy are – it's really nice to get that. You know, you don't have to have a full-on comedic story, but just those little wiry-type jokes – I think are quite good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Um, oh, well, let's move on to the annual, the 2015 annual, which features a painted cover by Antonio Lemos. Uh, I didn't pick this up for the same reason as I didn't pick up the previous issue. I know you got it, though, Jermaine. Uh, yeah, I got it, but I didn't um, open it. I oh, say so you have it still in the shrink wrap? Still in the shrink wrap. Fair enough. Uh, now, we were, we were counting on Stephen um, to uh, to discuss this for us because he was the only one of us who actually opened it out of the shrink wrap and then um, Had a, read, it. read it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, but, um, not wanting to steal his thunder. Well, he's um, not here, so, you know, he had something important to do, like kids. I mean, geez. <laughs> the back cover's really nice, actually. Um, yeah. It's probably I probably like it more than the first cover, the front cover. You know, it's funny you say that because several of Antonio's covers that he's done where they wrap around like this one, I actually prefer the back. <laughs> um, yeah. That's not you know trying to diss him or anything. I just preferred what he what he's done in the, in the back pages as well. But yeah, yeah it's kind now, of interesting that you say that. The thing that I do like about it is that is that this, there was a theme with the annual, like you know we'll. We'll, uh, we'll we'll save our trash talking for a little bit later. Is, <laughs> but I like the theme, and I like that a few of the stories were actually linked with each other as well. Yep. So it was kind of like, you know, like you can read it, and then they all interflow with each other and stuff. And I, I think, I think that's that that is a good way of doing it, and I think it needs to be done a little bit more. Yeah. Now, for, for those of you that may not have got the annual yet or, like us, haven't opened it, um, the stories that are included are all Fork and Barry stories. Uh, we have the art... Uh, sorry, that's the second one. We have the bad ones. Then the second story is the art thieves. We have the vultures, the tanker jackers, jungle city, gurus, jungle muggers, return of gurus mob, and the necklace of Solomon. Um and they're all fairly quality stories from what I remember. I remember Jungle yeah, City yeah. in particular being quite good. Um, and then the, the facsimile reprint, reprint, the replica of the Phantom 23, is Di- Diana Aviatrix Lost Part 1, which um, I think has been reprinted about a thousand times, but still. That's, yes. But uh, no, the um, those last four stories are some of my more favourite Yeah. Um, I'm from that era of the 80s where you had a lot of the family stories, but then you had a lot of the um, the gritty, darker stories. Yeah. yeah I um, remember the Jungle City. I think 
part of the reason that I I liked it so much. I read it. Um, oh, it was it was in I think one of the hundred page specials, or maybe it was one of the other annuals. I'm not sure, but one of the previous times through had published it, and I I was quite young, maybe ten or eleven around there, and it was really the first Phantom story that was proper gritty. Like he gets really angry in that story and there's i remember there's one panel where he's beating up some bad guys and it's all in silhouette uh except i think for the phantoms the eye holes and the phantoms mask and um yeah i just remember it being really impactful and really powerful at that you know at that age and thinking oh this is this is really cool <laughs> and i've always loved that story for for that reason but yeah there's some good stuff in this annual yeah so i think you know it's a pity that it was, you know, nothing that caught my interest. Yeah. But there was some good selection of stories there. And for people who haven't read the stories, um, I think it will be an annual that you would enjoy a lot. Yeah, if, if, if you haven't read any of these stories, I would definitely recommend picking it up. Um, it's, what, $14, isn't it? Yeah, 14 bucks. Yeah, so it's... It's it's not too bad um, price for what is it two hundred and forty odd pages. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it's not a bad not a bad value for the money if you haven't read those stories before. Definitely. Um, so the next issue is uh, I've lost my note. Uh, the secret weapon. That's right. The secret weapon, which was a historical story. Um, I did pick this issue up. I've mentioned what my feeling on historical stories is previous on this on this podcast, and unfortunately, this story did not change my opinion. Uh, although the art was beautiful, I will say the art was really nice, um, and the cover is quite good. But yeah, the actual story. All right, well, I let's let's go really to the story like then. We know we know you don't like it, so we'll. Um... <laughs> now, the first part is a little bit confusing to read because, like, it's. Um, you know, it took me a little while to figure out that he was actually with the Jungle Patrol. Um, so it was like they, they rushed the, the, the beginning of the story a little bit to give the story as much detail as possible. So it's a little bit hard, it's a little bit hard to read, but, but apart from that, if you don't have your preconceived ideas like, um, um, a fellow podcaster. <laughs> Um, it's a it's a story that I think majority of people will read, um, it will and enjoy because you know it's got some history. So you know there's a bit bit about the um, Civil War in America. There's the the um, ironclad uh, uh, boats and how they helped shape the war the war and stuff like that. And um, it's interesting. I, I quite enjoy the bit where and it goes on for quite a bit where. The Phantom is chasing this one guy. So it pretty much starts from about, you know, about page 23 all the way through to, uh, through to 28. So that's five pages of them just chasing each other, which is, which is quite, you know, which is quite a, a detailed chase. Yeah. But I thought it was quite good. Like, you know, they managed to, you know, like, um, uh, put in like for instance there was a battle on a bridge and you know like the battle actually happened 
and so you know, like you're talking about that, and I, I, I thought I thought it worked quite well. Yeah, well, um, I, I I quite liked, you know, I, like I said, I didn't enjoy the full full story, but I, I did like bits and pieces of it, like when they uh, when the fandom discovered that um, that the bad guy had taken over the shipyard, basically make that big um, gunboat. Because uh, you know that was, that was around the time of the industrial revolution and all that sort of stuff, so these things were were being looked at and being happening. So while I'm not sure if in that time, that exact time, gunboats like that were actually being made, it was a nice kind of, I guess, allusion to what was either to come or at least being looked at. So yeah, I I, pre- I did appreciate this story more than previous historical stories, but I just didn't find it enjoyable as a story, if if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, what did you think about the cover? I um, I really liked it. It's it's well, I, yeah, okay. I really liked it. Um, I think the layout of it is great. Uh, I think they chose um, really good images to use, and the fact that they made it wrap around was was great as well. Again, the colouring, um, particularly the shading, was a bit off. Um, but you know, if I think you said last episode that it's that part of it's more up to the printer rather than through themselves, so maybe the issue doesn't lie with through. Um, but apart from that, yeah, I thought I thought it was great. That would make a really good poster for the poster series that Fru's doing. That would be a really nice one to do, I think. Yeah. Now, probably my only thing that kind of ruined ruined the wraparound is the fact that you see the lady's head on the cover. It would have it would have yeah. been better if that was pushed. To the back cover. That's true. That, that that is true. That's a good point. But when you look at it as the full image, obviously it doesn't matter. But yeah, it is kind of weird, I suppose. Yeah, I didn't actually think of that to be honest. But now you yeah. mention it. Now you mention it. Yeah. Um. Cool. Well. Uh, I but that's... I did. I did like it where there was a few people on Facebook saying, "Oh, you know, uh, you know, Joan Jermaine aren't going to be able to whinge about this uh, about this cover." Oh, the donors are underest our whinging, our whinging powers. We'll we'll get in there. Don't you worry. <laughs> Speaking of whinging, um, I suppose we should go on to our new segment of the show. Yep, this is going to be my favourite. <laughs> yeah, we've been looking forward to this. Okay, so you may, you know, consider that we whinge a little bit on this podcast. This is probably true. So we've decided to set up a special segment of the show called the Soapbox. <laughs> Basically what the soapbox is going to be is for Jermaine and myself and Stephen went next time he's on to get up and not not whinge really, we, we joke about it, but just talk about our concerns or, or, or things we don't particularly like. I think could be done better in uh, various aspects of the Phantom. Now, this will range from through, um, through to Dynamite, through to the collectibles, to every anything relating to the Phantom. Now, some people, um, I did get an email during the week saying that people, one person in particular, um, who hasn't ever contacted us before, isn't on the Facebook thing, um, said he thought we were anti-Fruit. Now, that's not true. It just happens that Fruit produces a lot more stuff than anyone else, so we have a lot more to talk about. Um, I think we've pretty much said how appreciative we are of through. Um, but, you know, I think part of being a fan is also admitting that there are weak 
weaker aspects to you know things whenever they crop up. So we're not through bashing. I just want to put that out there. And I think, you know, just to go in a little bit more detail, we're going to be having one negative each. So we've only got one thing that we're allowed to um, uh, talk about from a negative point of view, but we're also going to balance it in the sense that we've got a pat on the back as well. Yep. yep. So, and again, we've got one of those as well. Mm-hmm. So soapbox is just as much for saying... Uh, we don't like this or this, as it is for saying we do like this and this. So we're going to balance it up. But anyway, let's get started. Okay, so now we originally had three, mm-hmm. but seeing, seeing our other uh, podcasters not here, we will still say it, but so this is obviously his as well. This is Steve's as well. Yep. So, um, so I'll go first. So uh, my first negative on the soapbox is the consistency of free reprinting stories. Yeah. Now, I've said it before, so I won't harp on it. You know, the, you know, we'll just we'll just look at a very very small market, very very small handful of collectors here. Like you know, I, there's and it's not just you. There's other collectors out there who do not buy free stories if they already have the story, or yeah. they do not buy the free comic if they already have the story. You know. You do not buy 1714 and 1715 because you already had those stories. Yet, even though you don't like historical stories, seeing it was a new story, you brought 1716. Mm. Now, that should be enough reason not to always reprint through stories. So that's it. I'm going to say it on there. Yep, fair enough. Now, I'd just like to add to that and say that before the annual, I think it was the maybe three issues that were all reprints. Now, that seems a lot, um, like three issues in a row. That's, that seems a lot. Now, I understand there's been um, several changes in publisher at FRU um, over the last couple of months with um, the unfortunate death of Jim Shepard, then Steve taking over and Steve uh, resigning for whatever reason, and then the new publisher, whose name I always forget, and I'm terribly sorry for that if he's listening. Dudley. Uh, Dudley, that's right. Dudley. Um, coming in. So maybe it has something to that, but it's just, yeah, it, it does seem seem like a lot. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's a little bit of concern if they just keep pumping out the same stuff. But we should probably also say that for newer readers, and um, I know one or two just through, through teaching who are, uh, you know, maybe 16, 17, who are just getting into the fandom, it's good for them. It's great for them. But, um, yeah, I, I feel that there is a bit too much. So, anyway, my um, complaint uh, or my soapbox worry is slightly related to this, and it's about the annual and the fact that every single story in the annual was a reprint. Now, it's it's cool, um, what Jermaine mentioned this, it's cool that, you know, there was a theme, they were all Fork, Fork and Barry stories, that's great. But the annual is supposed to be your big issue for the year. Well, this is how I assume Fru looks at it. It's their big issue for the year, it's their big push um, to, you know, make a nice, great, big collector's edition issue. If you're aiming that sort of stuff at collector's, how many of those collectors aren't going to already have the stories in there? Now, yeah, it has a really nice cover by Antonio Lemos. Um, Yeah, it's got that great theme. But, you know, I 
as a collector, having or already having all those stories, I didn't feel it was worth $14 to spend um, for what amounts to me as basically a really nice cover because I already had those issues. So maybe if they threw in, you know, two or three new stories, I would have bought it. Maybe if they'd um, re, if they wanted to go with a reprint run, maybe if they'd reprinted, um, I know the Golden Fleece, which each part of that came out with several several issues in between it. Maybe if they reprinted that just in the one book or collected, maybe I would have grabbed that. But just all being uh, reprints of issues I already had, I wasn't interested. And I think other collectors are going to feel the same. And I think it's a real missed opportunity by Fru to just have have um, reprinted stories in, in the annual. Yeah. Um, I, what I would have liked to seen were the little short one, two, three-page short stories that have been appearing in uh, in Sweden and Norway for the last couple of um, uh, the last couple of months. They yeah. would have been they would have been great annual fillers. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. So the third soapbox negative point that we had was um, us questioning whether Steve's plans for a better through has been thrown out by the current publisher. Should we go over what those plans were, just for anyone that might not have been listening at that point? Yeah, briefly. We don't want to. Uh, we don't want to uh, harp on it for too long. Yeah. But yeah, I reckon briefly, let's go over it. Okay. So basically, after um, Jim Shepard sadly died and his son Steve took over, he uh, looked through the comments that fans had been making um, about Fru and looked into how he would be able to improve it. Um, I know he listened to a few of our episodes because Jermaine and I had the pleasure of meeting him at the last um, Lee Fork Explorers Club dinner, and uh, he told us then that he'd been listening and taking notes. So what Jim's plan was was to improve the paper quality of fruit, um, to improve the print quality so you wouldn't have those pages that were really um, sort of fuzzy and blurry that we'd had in a few issues, and to improve... The covers as well, um, and get some get some more of the the Scandinavian stories that we haven't seen in Australia yet. Uh, am I missing anything there, Jermaine? Uh, you've got the um, improvement of the covers. Did you mention that? Sorry. Yeah. Yes, I did. Okay. So, um, yeah, that's there was that were probably the main ones. Oh, with the website. Um, oh yes, the website. So. So I, I, I guess you know, like the print quality is still there. Um, the covers have been hit and miss, in my opinion. Yeah, there, uh, there was. It's weird because there was a couple of really good ones, and then there was a couple of real shockers. And now with this issue, I think, well, possibly the annual, we're getting back to you know nicer covers. Yeah. So I guess it's more. It's not really a you know like we need to go back to Steve because. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think that's fair. Um, and I think, you know, you need to give Dudley a fair enough chance to do it. And he's got the runs on the boards as a magazine publisher. Yeah. I guess it's more that we're a little bit worried, and this is just two fans or three fans' personal opinion, nothing more than that. You know, we don't, we're just a little bit worried that, that some of that, 
cutting edge that we've been brought into it. And some of the stuff worked, and some not everything not everything worked. No. Um, but yeah, we're just a little bit worried that we're kind of going back a step after we've taken a step or two forward. Yeah. One one of the great things I thought Steve did was he introduced the uh, through uh, Instagram account, which you know is, is a way to get more people to see um, see the fan. Because if you tag that, you know, say you put a photo of um, a through cover or something up uh, on Instagram and you put the tag comics or comic book on there, people from all over the world that are interested in comics and comic books are potentially going to see that. Um, so it's a great way of, of expanding through's reach. And um, towards the end of Steve run, Steve's run, that dissipated. Um, I followed the, the through Instagram account, and I haven't seen them post anything for a long, no, long time. It, yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I don't think the website has seen a heck of a lot of action either of late, which is another great way to, of course, get the word out there. Yeah. All right, so let's go with the pats on the back, so. Okay. Let's, let's, end this, let's end the podcast on a positive. Yep. So um, I guess... Probably the first one for me, which is that there's a lot of collectibles coming out at the moment. Yeah, there is. Um, now, you know, we've got the stuff that's being produced by Icon. We've got, you know, the bobblehead, the four version of the statues. You've got the, um, the mug when it comes out. You've got, you know, the endless different versions of uh, shirts and jumpers that are coming out, you know, out of Sweden and uh, Casual Friday. You know, you've got their different versions of the little, those little four and a half inch figurines. You've mm-hmm. got that lamp that we've talked about. You know, then you've got, you know, different, you've got two, you've got, uh, apart from Fru and, uh, Scandinavian one, which is, you know, uh, the regular ones which have been going for the last few years, you've got quite a lot of, other people producing comic books. You've got the Turkey guys that just released a, about a 15 odd issue issues of the Phantom. You've got um, uh, you've got two in America. You got Dynamite. You got Herms and stuff like that. So there's they're, they're, and this has been going on for a little while as well. Mm. Um, so I think it's safe to say that, that I don't know whether you call it a mini revival or what, but you know there's a lot more stuff for us to um, spend our money on just digging out old stuff yeah, from I people's garages on eBay. <laughs> exactly. I don't think this much um, fandom stuff that isn't just comics, so like the collectibles and, and things you've mentioned, has come out at one time since the movie. Like when, mm. the, movie, when the movie came out, there was heaps of stuff because of, you know, obviously licensing deals and stuff. But I don't think we've seen this amount of collectibles and things at one time since then. And the best part of it is, too, like the amount we're getting is brilliant, but even better than that is it is is it is all of a great quality. Like, none of it's yeah. sort of cheaply produced or, you know, a quick knockoff or whatever. It's all aimed towards the um, the collectors or, or, you know, people who are willing to spend that little bit extra on, on a well-made item, which is great, which is great. So, yeah, that's, re- that's really good. Now, my, um, my positive is, of course, the cover for 1716, which we've already talked about, but in particular, the redesigned title strip. Now, previously it was yellow and red, 
Um, now it's um, uh, blue and black, I think. I don't actually have the issue next to me because I lent it to my dad. So I'm trying yeah, to remember. Yeah, blue and black. Um, and it just looks so much better. It's it's not as intrusive because you don't look at it and feel like your eyes are going to bleed. Um, it, it might be the cover of that issue as well because it is a darker cover. That's why it's blending in so well with the cover, but it's still prominent enough that you can go, oh, yeah, that's the title street. This is, you know, the issue title, the issue number and all that sort of stuff. Um, it, it's really good. It's It's a simple change, but I think it improves the covers, you know, 110%. Yeah, it'll be interesting whether it's coming back or whether it worked for this cover because of the cover, because it's got the blue and the black and the red. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It'll be interesting to see... Um, if, if it's they, back or Yeah, if or, they continue it. Yeah. But, but yeah. no, for this issue, at least, it, it looks quite good. So. Yeah, definitely. So I've got one more positive. Yeah. Um, and this one is the message from the publisher in uh, 1716. Mm-hmm. Now you've got um I don't know if well, I didn't pick it up uh I didn't pick it up David um Buds I think on Facebook picked it up and I'm assuming some others picked it up or either Dudley picked it up as well but um he made an error in the annual where where he said basically uh oh we need to correct a small error in the 2014 chrono- uh, chronology which you will see in the 2015 annual on the last line we made a mistake we did not print terror's mutiny in a christmas special replacing it with the jungle olympics and king bongong which i hope you enjoyed now for for dudley to be able to say that and then and that's going on the back of him when he published the uh, Pirate Queen story where he said, you know, Phantom fans who are in the blogging atmosphere, we are listening. That, that, that's, that's, that's a positive. The fact that you've got a, um, uh, you've got a publisher who is listening, you know, somehow, some, some way, but yeah. he's, he's listening and he's making comments like that in the, um, uh, in the message from the publisher. So I, I think that's a pretty good positive as well. Oh, it, it's it's great, yeah, because, you know, not to to um, take away from the man, but one, one of Jim Shepard's faults, I guess you could say, is that he didn't tend to really listen to the fans. He had his plan and he was going with it, which is fair enough for a businessman, you know. that's You know, he's got his plan, he wants to do his thing, that's great. But sometimes it was to the detriment of the comic. So to have a publisher now that goes, oh, yeah, okay, well, that didn't work or that, you know, could have been better, we'll fix that up, is is great. I think that's really good. So, yeah, hats off to Dudley for um for, for admitting that they made a mistake, which is easy to do. Everyone does it. Every now and then, every publish publication makes a mistake. So, you know, it's it's. I don't think um, any fan is going to go, oh, I'm not going to bloody buy through anymore because I got this wrong. Um, but, you know, it, it's good that they, they owned up and said, you know, sorry, we'll fix her up. So, yeah, it's great stuff. Definitely. Cool. Well, um, I think we've covered everything this for I this episode. Um, so, yeah, I guess that'll do us for episode 19 of X-Band. Thank you for joining us. Please let us know whether you like Soapbox or not um, because we're trying to keep trying to get the if episodes a bit more streamlined so we don't just go off on random tangents like we tend to do. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, please let us know what you thought either by emailing us um, at 
crocochamber at gmail.com or leaving a comment on Facebook. You have um, the Phantom Collector group or the Chronicle Chamber Phantom fan page. And, of course, we're on Twitter as well, and you can find links to all of those places on the website at chroniclechamber.com. And if... You know, people send us in emails and messages and stuff. We'll more than likely read them here on the podcast um, and have a bit of a discussion. So it should be fun. Right, well, Jermaine, we'll thank you very much for joining us. Hopefully, Steve will be back next episode. Yes. Um, as long as his kids get to bed on time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and if there's anyone else that uh, has a soapbox I want me to get worked up about, make sure you message it through. Yeah, yeah, if you have any ideas for soapboxiness that we should cover, be it positive or negative, yeah, please let us know. Right, that'll do us for episode uh, 13, episode 19 of Expand the Phantom Podcast. Thanks very much for joining us, and we'll catch you later. Bye. Bye.